like you guys are choosing. Derek, please. You understand and agree to the following terms and conditions. Derek! One. Derek, this is the virus. You talking. hereby waive your right Derek, please. to your own personal bodily integrity. This is not you. Two. Per the state versus Neville Reed, my colleague and I will not be held criminally liable for any felony or misdemeanor that you may be a victim of, including, but not limited to, aggravated assault, Aggravated battery, disorderly conduct, destruction of property, mayhem, and first-degree murder. And three, terms and conditions may change or be updated whenever the fuck I want! Consider yourselves notified. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. What was that rocket? What rocket? I was just in my office and I heard a rocket. Describe the rocket, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore?
you want to kill me. Now you want to kiss me. Blow. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. What's up, everyone? DJ Anubis. And DJ Neko. With you on this lovely Friday afternoon. Oh, we had such a good Friday. Got up, went and played some racquetball. Went and got my beautiful ring back from the ring hospital. <laughs> uh, I It's my last Friday before I'm gone, and then I'll be gone for seven Fridays, I believe. Yep, so did he just noobsy keeping it? Holding the fort down, going solo, the lone wolf. <laughs> I'm just a lone wolf. Uh, kicking off our uh, music today was a woman named Miss Crystal. She's on YouTube. Uh, she put out a record last year. This cover of Nine Shells didn't appear on that. She's, I think she kind of started out doing some covers. She does like model work and uh, other stuff. Uh, I think. She might actually be a lawyer. I can't remember. I have to check back on that. But uh, either way, uh, I really, really love this cover that she did. Uh, and it kind of funny because it reminded me of Christina Scabby. That's what I was getting ready to say. The voice a little bit there. So if you're a Lacuna Coil fan, she has that kind of uh, voice there. But uh, today we've got some reviews for House of Gucci, which I checked out for the first time last night. Very first time. And Neko's having some pain issues, apparently. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> it's just, uh, like... Spasms? Yeah. Cobra Kai Season 5 review. We're finally getting around to that. And then we've got an interview that we did with Edgar Allan Poe talking sports and football. So we'll be getting that this soon to get all that good stuff out of the way. Let's get into our first block of music with some Adrenocide, Cross-Examination, and brand new Destroyer 666. This is called Guillotine.
Introducing the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast, available today on your favorite podcast platform. Metal Tavern is a heavy metal, rock music, and movie podcast where they discuss movies, music, current events, and feature live interviews with bands, artists, and YouTube personalities. They spotlight independent labels and feature the underground bands the label represents. Again, that's the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. Stream it today on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podbean, YouTube, and at the website MetalTavernRadio.com. Many episodes up for you to listen to already, and make sure you subscribe to be notified of future releases. That's the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. Go listen, download, and subscribe today. You can also connect on Facebook, search Metal Tavern Radio, and follow the guys on Twitter at DJ Anubis88 and DJ underscore Nico Caffrey. Jump into our interview with Edgar Allan Poet. Talked a lot of good football, a lot of great ideas going forward. We might actually end up doing a YouTube show. Uh, I mean, are we, are we calling it um, shooting the shit or what? <laughs> that was my idea. Well, I, I kind of like the hot takes. I just haven't really worked it out. Maybe he and I will figure out a plan what to call the show. We'll probably do it like maybe once a month, just get together. And even we're off when football's not on, we'll maybe talk some sort of like entertainment. We like, you know, he's done like you know movie stuff with us before so it's not like we're just stuck on the uh, sports stuff but we do like to talk our, our football so and the thing is too um the two of them just really flow together like i you know me i don't really like talk all the time i was but the two of them were just like cutting shooting the shit like that's that's why i kind of was jo- joking saying the name of the show should be shooting the shit because that's they, they were so natural together and that's that's what we really want yep so uh, for the next hour or so, you guys will get to hear some of what we're talking about first two weeks of the NFL season. Uh, obviously, if you're not into it, you can do as you wish at this point. But uh, for those that are into sports like we are, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about football, some of the interesting comebacks, as well as our thoughts on some of the injuries, as well as our, our favorite teams. In fact, last night when we did the interview, uh, Poets team, the Steelers, played the Browns. So... Uh, if you followed that, you know exactly how that ended, and I'm sure Poet's not a happy man today. But, uh, you know, that's just how football is sometimes. But here we go. Interview with Edgar Allan Poet, and we'll be back. All right, I'm DJ Nubis. And this is DJ Neko. And we have our special guest, Edgar Allan Poet, joining us to do some sports talk. Real talk. Real talk. How you doing, Mr. Poet? Thank you for having me. I'm great. How's everyone doing? Good, 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 man. Uh, yeah, so we're only a couple weeks in, but there's a lot to talk about. Of course, we know your your squealers are going to be playing tonight against the Brownies, who just yeah. came off a, a very uh, embarrassing loss to the Jets at home. Uh, but I'll get into that, too, because it, the first two weeks have been pretty wild. But I think before we get into tonight's game... Uh, first thing I want to get to uh, about teams that look good so far in the first two weeks and I only have three that kind of stand out but I'm curious of where you're at and what your thoughts on are uh, as far as who's impressed you uh, thus far the first two weeks yeah so the obvious answer is the Bills they just look like they're like like everyone is just at least a level beneath them 
you know, Josh Allen is playing um, out of his mind. Stephon Diggs is reminding people how good of a player he is. Imagine if Minnesota kept him and drafted Jefferson, but, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, other teams, you know, like I said, that was an easy one. Um, a surprise team to me and a team that I'm kind of pulling for, um, even though their owner is a jerk, is the, the, the Dolphins. Um, I don't know how sustainable they are, but they've looked, you know, really good as well. Um, and, uh, you know, I would have to say, um, with with the with the Dolphins especially, there's so much speed on offense that it, it's hard to count them out of any game. And uh, I know much to your chagrin, you won't like this answer, but the Chiefs look incredible as well. Um, you always look incredible. <laughs> what they did they, in Arizona week one was just crazy. Yeah, then what yeah. Arizona did to the Raiders was crazy. What? Well, so far, I agree with you on the uh, first two. Buffalo and Kansas City, for sure. Uh, Dolphins, I'd kind of forgotten about, even though I've been mentioning them with uh, some other stuff I want to talk about. Yeah, they look really good. Uh, Tyreek isn't really missing a beat. Uh, Waddle's looking really good there. Uh, A couple of teams that I think will eventually drop off, but I'm kind of surprised at where they're at right now is the Eagles and Giants. Um, I did not. Ex- yeah. I did not expect either one of those teams to be two and zero going into the season. So, uh, what are your thoughts on them? So the Eagles are. Um, I'm glad that you brought them up because I really wanted to talk about AJ Brown, mm-hmm. and uh, I wanted to talk about how stupid the Titans were for trading him. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, I had a. Uh, I actually made a very long list uh, as to all the reasons why it was stupid. It. it over a page, but to limit it to the Eagles, they are they are a team that they have they have running backs, they have some nice tight end talent, they have a really good group of wide receivers. Although they're a little top heavy, it's mostly their their two to get two guys. But their defense has been consistently good since the Super Bowl, and it's still still really good defense. So um, they their issue has always been quarterback and uh, I I listened to Shannon Sharp who is not a uh, you know skip past Skip Bayless because uh, <laughs> it drives me insane but I like uh, Shannon Sharp is really insightful when he talks about NFL quarterbacks he's horrible at predicting who will be good out the draft but he, he definitely knows his stuff about uh, you know the ones who are playing like once they get to the league on a side note did you uh do you ever watch the Peyton Manning Monday Night stuff that he has with his brother? I, I watch the clips. I uh, I usually watch the normal telecast and turn off the announcers. Right. Well, it was funny because I didn't realize it because I, I don't. I'm like you. Know, I watch the regular one. I want to rather just hear what's going on with the game. But apparently, uh, Peyton and Eli on that Seattle game um, had Shannon with them on that final call. <laughs> they were, they were all, that. yeah, they were all yeah. like really hammering the hell out of Hackett for the calls, and I was like, it's ruthless. So yeah, that was that's <laughs> <laughs> so so funny. Yeah, Shannon is. I could not imagine trying to talk trash to that guy on the football field. It would be infuriating. Yeah, but. uh he was talking about with Jalen Hurts that he 
he's very skeptical of Jalen, but he talked about how, and I thought this was an interesting observation. Um, he is throwing the ball better mechanically. And, you know, his mechanics aren't beautiful. He's not a Dan Marino, but his release is better. His footwork is better. Um, and he, he had a line about how, like, a lot of times when Hurts would miss a pass or throw a pick, the decision that he made wasn't bad. Like, throwing the ball to that guy wasn't bad. But the throw itself was off. Mm-hmm. And so, with Hurts, if he can pull a Josh Allen and become more mechanically stable, there might be something there. Now, I, I am rooting for Jalen Hurts. I always root for guys who bet on themselves, um, uh, you know, coming out of college. So, I don't know if he can keep it up but if he does he's playing himself into a big contract so uh you also mentioned the giants the giants have a good defense but i will never i have never nor will i ever believe in daniel jones right so they might be three and oh if they beat the cowboys i don't care daniel jones is a bad quarterback (laughs) teams with bad quarterbacks do not do well in the nfl Maybe they could ride the wave and get the third wild card slot and then get slapped down by the second seed. But I am not a, a NYG believer. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think the Eagles and Giants are what I would say was pretenders right now because until I really see what they do beyond the first couple of games, it will be easy to tell where they are. Uh, like a team that I know so well called the Broncos, we don't really know where we are quite yet either. But I'm, I'm not getting to that just yet. Uh, Tua, uh, you made a mention about Jalen kind of improving his accuracy and his in-pocket awareness. I think Tua's done exactly the same thing. I was watching a replay of the uh, Raiders game because I was working the day that that game was played, but watching the red zone while I was working. But uh, one thing that Neko and I were kind of talking about while watching the, the sweetness that was uh, – well, actually, the sweetness of it was coming back from the Ravens is how calm that uh, – Two was in the pocket, and the same thing with Kyler Murray. I'm seeing these guys who are generally uh, hybrid scramblers, and they're actually doing what they're supposed to do: go through the progressions, stay in the pocket, and then if it breaks down, you make a run for it. Uh, whereas watching Lamar, as great as it is, watching Lamar run 60 yards for a touchdown, it's just I can't see that sustainable throughout his career. He's going to have to learn how to do that. What these other guys are doing. He's- no, you're, you're right, and the thing with Lamar is, and this is where he's so fascinating because there are a lot of people I've noticed over the years who they can find games, like four or five games, where he's a good pocket passer, mm-hmm. a decent pocket passer, and then it falls apart, and for him, it's consistency. I suspect this will be his best year um, because there's nothing quite like playing for the the, the contract to, to motivate a guy um, with I can if you compare him to Tua Tua is interesting because uh, if memory serves Saban encouraged him to try to play make his legs his college ball it's not as risky to do that but his inclination has always been to be more of a pocket passer and that will serve him well I mean he given his small frame um you know, he, he has to kind of play that way. Right. You know, his issue is arm strength. But as he showed last week, you know, he's not going to hit some of the deep passes. 
on a rope in a tight window like Josh Allen or Elway could hit, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he's not going to Brett Hart it, but he can hit uh, most of the deep passes that, that you And so while his arm is pretty crappy, and I think that injuries have taken a toll on him, because I, I watched him in college, and I'm just going to do. Yeah. All right, you were saying about Lamar? I, you know, like, I would rather have Lamar over Kyler just because I know Lamar is focused. If I could take Lamar's mentality and pair it with Murray, that would be one hell of a, that'd be one hell of a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Well, I think but, that I think that with okay. Murray, it's 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 sort of the same thing in reverse with Lamar. Lamar usually does like all his theatrics and all his great runs early in a game, and whereas Murray, like against the Raiders, was forced to do it towards the end to make plays, and you have to just kind of wonder like where both those quarterbacks can kind of put it together for a full game where. Uh, they can, you know, be consistently good at passing, but then, again, if you're going to use your legs at the end to try to make plays, that's great. But for whatever reason, Lamar, like, towards the end of games, like, that they need, whether it's in the playoffs or not, he doesn't seem to come through like he normally would. Uh, but like you said... That's a fair criticism of him. Yeah. And that is, he, he in, the, in the playoffs, he's had... He's had some struggles. Some of that has been schematics where the Ravens are, they're not a team that likes to spend a lot of money at wide receiver. And they've historically been able, only able to get good wide receivers. I was actually looking at this the other day. Uh, they traded for Derek Mason. Um, they traded for Anquan Bolden. Yeah, there was that week where Terrell Owens was a Raven before that got, um, uh, expunged by the league because Terrell Owens' uh, agent forgot to file for free agency. Oh Whoops. God, I forgot about that. Yeah, that was that was that was bad. Um, and they run the ball a lot. So Juju Smith-Schuster and Mike Hilton, or T.Y. Hilton last year, they were they didn't want to sign with the Ravens because they don't throw the ball enough. Mm-hmm. Historically, they don't. Yeah. But the thing with with Lamar is, and this is a fair criticism as well. If I'm a, on a one-year proving deal, and you know we can talk about scheme and throwing the ball enough, like you can be on a team that doesn't throw the ball a ton, and if you're the first option, you're still going to get your touches, right? Target is a better way. But with Lamar, I don't know if I'm trying to go there. If I'm trying to bag a big contract because he's inconsistent. If I'm a tight end, absolutely. You know, yeah, I- and Mark Andrews is horrifying. They have great ministry. I wonder, is do you think that's a reason why Hollywood left? Like, I know it was the Ravens' decision to trade him, but, like, a part of me wonders if Hollywood wanted out for similar reasons why Schuster and Hilton didn't want to go there. And then on the other side of that is, did you think that Lamar declining the contract that they offered him was because he might want to move on to another team? I think... Hollywood Brown won the contract that he has never lived up to. Like Hollywood Brown is a solid number two and a weak number one. Right. Ideally, he would be a number three. Like I've never. I'll just be honest. I've never thought he was any good. Well, I didn't either. That's why I thought it was kind of strange that 
you know, he got shipped off to Arizona. They already have um, uh, uh, Hopkins as well as A.J. Green, even though he's declining in age and everything. But yeah, you already got yeah, a couple of big still, names he's still there. still another two. Yeah. yeah ex- no, that's right. And for Lamar, I don't think he wants to leave. I think he would like to stay in Baltimore. Lamar is a smart guy, and Baltimore is the best team for him to go to right. for so many reasons. But he wants that money. And so if the Texans decided that they were going to give him the $250 million guarantee, the Deshaun Watson contract, would right. Brown screw up that, that, that uh, they screwed up the quarterback market. Yeah, they did, big time. Yeah, the owners are, uh, like if I was an owner, if I was a GM, I'd be calling Cleveland every day just leaving a nasty voicemail. <laughs> Just like, you, you fucked this up. What the fuck were you thinking, you dickwads? Yeah, it, it's insane. It's crazy. Like, like I remember when Patrick Mahomes got his deal. They said that he could have leveraged out another hundred million dollars on it, mm-hmm. but he he didn't because he wants to win, and that extra five to eight million dollars a year would really hurt the team, right? Right. And again, I'm not crying for Mahomes' contract and trying to lionize it. But there is there is a part of me. And I, Lamar's smart. He knows the way that he plays could be the injury and he wants that guaranteed money. And the NFL is a business, so sit down and negotiate for it. But, I mean, unless you are a perennial MVP candidate, which Lamar Jackson has not been, it is hard to, to argue for a fully guaranteed contract. Like, Kirk Cousins did that, but he also, you know, he did the thing where one year his cap hit is massive and the next year it's not. You know, the way that you can play with the cap and stuff like right. that. Mm-hmm. So that's not what Lamar is 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 looking for. And so I don't know what team, you know, a desperate team might do it. And if he wants to go there and make his money, I won't reach him that. But... I, what I will say is the Ravens need Lamar and Lamar needs the Ravens, but I think Lamar might need the Ravens more. And I say that as a guy who likes Lamar. Right. No, and I don't have problems with like Mahomes or even Josh Allen because, you know, even Allen hasn't got to Super Bowl yet. I still think he has done enough to show that he is a franchise quarterback. Uh the problem with Lamar or Deshaun is that they all have potential, but like they only have only taken their team so far in the postseason. And I think you've kind of nailed it with the whole like you know Browns really fucking everybody because you just threw a bunch of money at a guy who not only has off the field issues currently, but he was up twenty four nothing on the Chiefs on one playoff game and then lost that game because he couldn't do anything else with it. Uh, I know it's not just his fault the Texans blew that game, but. You but the need quarterback to, has to be a stopper. Like at some point, yeah, you got you got to right. stop the bleeding. You know that guy. You can't hold Mahomes down forever. So it's like at yeah. some point, you got to give me at least two more touchdowns to win this game. And he or couldn't do it. The, the like quarterback is like, the pulse of the entire fucking team. Yeah. So if you're if you're yeah. going out there and you're not like able to like cage the chaos or lead the team anywhere and it just looks like nonsense and insanity up and down the field, then you're really not a great leader. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and that's what Stafford did against the Bucks. Like, if you remember, they got, yep. they, they had a huge lead and then you had 
the fumbles, and then there was like, there might have been a pick that a, a wideout ran around wrong route or something, and then a blown coverage by Ramsey. And you know Stafford's like, I've touched the ball six times, and everyone around me has fucked up. No more. I'm not doing this. I'm. I'm there is me. There is my left tackle who will keep me clean. There is Cooper Cup, and that is all we need. I, I don't <laughs> care about Robert. Wood. No Woods was hurt. I don't care about OBJ. I don't care about Higby. It is me and Cup, and we're just going. We're just going to do this, and then he did that in the Super Bowl as well. Yeah. And with with Watson, I think the the issue with him is he's had he's had a lot of really really great years, and he's a wonderful quarterback. And you know he has. One of the greatest highlights ever, where he just—he's about to get sacked and he just bounces off of a linebacker and hits that beautiful throw. Yeah. So he has clutch moments in him, and every great quarterback has has had games, that, especially end of games, that they they would like back. But it's not so much that we don't think that he could do that. I'm rooting for him actively to everything. Right. Fucking, he's a bad human being, and he plays for the Browns, but which makes him an even worse human being. But, you know, at the end of the day, he still hasn't done it yet. Right. That's that's the thing. And that's why the um, money is so important, because you're like, man, I just paid you money that for a guy that's never even seen a Super Bowl. I don't think he's even seen an AFC Championship game, so <laughs> it's kind of scary yeah. that they're going to throw that kind of money out there. All right, well, I want to get into the first two weeks here, uh, especially the comebacks. And I don't know how you feel about it, but... It seems like in these first two weeks, there's been a lot of teams that have crashed and burned late to allow teams either to win or get out just barely. So, week one, the Saints and Falcons. I remember the Saints were up on the Falcons pretty easily early. Falcons get back into it, but then they end up losing by like a point, I think, to the Saints anyway. Steelers were up big on Cincinnati, and then the Bengals came back, but the Steelers did manage to pull that game out. And, of course, the Jaguars were beating Washington pretty handily until the Commanders came back and beat them. Uh, yeah, that was insane. <laughs> uh, week two, obviously, we talked a little bit about the Dolphins and Ravens. Uh, that was probably one of the greatest games I've seen. I, I love seeing and watching the Ravens lose, so it made me doubly happy <laughs> that day. Yes. Uh, the Jets and Browns, I can't believe Flacco found it in them to actually beat the Browns, but that was kind of funny. And then, of course, the Cardinals and Raiders, that was, again, a much joyous occasion for me to watch the Raiders go down, watch their fans cry and mope on the stands. So. And then punch and then try to take a swing or hit Kyler Murray in the face with their children. Yeah. So what is your feeling about it? I was like, for some reason for me, obviously comebacks aren't unusual in the NFL, but to this degree, I mean, that's like six games in the first two weeks, I think that teams are pretty much going to win easily and it just ends up being a dogfight at the yes. end. Yes, so um, I think that like a lot of them are just so extreme and so dramatic like another one that like the Rams held on but you know the Falcons came back from 28-3 ironically and almost won that game as well mm-hmm. and I think that I think that in the NFL um, if you uh if you look at rosters, right, and you really break them down, you know, the difference between the best rosters in the NFL and some of the mediocre or even bad ones, we're talking about a handful of players, right? So 
if you took a team like um, the Ravens, right? They have a pretty good roster. They have zero cornerbacks, zero. Right. All of them suck. Some of them used to be good, but they're just old. It, imagine if you took J.C. Jackson or Darius Slay and you threw that down in the secondary. Just how warping that would. Well, it's the same thought experiment. Like uh, the Lions don't have a great roster. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the 0 and 2 teams. You know, the Jets don't have a great roster. The Titans don't have a great roster. The Colts don't have a great roster, etc. Et um, yeah, what? You, you know, that's funny. What was? Whoa! Are you washing dishes? Where'd you go? I think we lost you. At least we got some fuzzy there. Did his mic go out? Uh, oh, he's back. <laughs> Did you, can you hear me? I can yeah, hear you now, yeah. Are you washing dishes or something? <laughs> Sorry, I, I don't know what happened with my AirPods. He started making fuzzy sounds, so I just switched over to speakerphone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We can still hear you pretty good. Yeah, you sound crystal clear. And I, I understand what you're saying, like, about the pods, because, like, I um, I use my AirPods a lot while I'm working out in the yard, so I don't have to keep my phone, like, on me while I'm listening to stuff. And my pods will start beeping at me if I'm going a little too far away from my phone. It'll go, oh, yeah. Like, it's telling me, hey... You're, you're out of range or you're losing Bluetooth or something and it'll do the same thing. It'll start like getting all staticky. It must be a day for technical difficulties. Mercury is in retrograde. Uh, we don't want to talk about that. Sorry about that, folks. That's uh, okay. I, uh, but, you know, it's just like if you, if you took two or three good players on each side of the ball and you put them on a bad roster, you would see a lot of, of difference on teams. And so basically, it's a, a long-winded way to say that unless you're like bottom of the barrel, like 0-16, just trashola, you're not that far off from a really good team. Maybe they have better coaches or a front office, assistant coaches and all that, but the players themselves, there's not that much of a difference in talent. And so comebacks are always possible you know sometimes you get up big and you take your foot off the gas pedal um it reminds me well, one of the reasons why i always liked mike shanahan as a head coach is you know the broncos would get up 10 points 13 points you know something like that and they'd be like all right now let's just get up 21 points and kill them and break their spirit and <laughs> yeah you know, those late and, 90s teams with the la and them that was the one thing i got always count on is Averaging like 35 points a game, and it's like even if a team scores, it's maybe like man, what 10 to 17 points. They're not even gonna get close to us. And I'm like, that's the way you do it. You just break every bone and spirit in their body to the point that they just don't want to come back. <laughs> they just know they know that you're better. They know that they can't beat you. They're only gonna win if you beat yourself. You know, Bill Belichick did that. You know, Peyton Manning was infamous for doing that to teams on Monday Night Football. <laughs> um, you know, that that's the mark. McVay tries to do that. Uh, Shanahan Jr. tries to do that. Gee, I wonder where he got that Baby from. Baby Shanahan. Yeah. Yeah, so on. Uh, Bruce, Bruce faces. actually did that. If you go back to when he had Carson Palmer in Arizona and they made uh, some deep playoff runs, 
he he I remember there was a Sunday night football game and he was actually up twenty one points. <laughs> he's just like fucking play action go deep and they asked him about that after the game like was he running up the score and he goes well if I'm up 24 or 28 points it's harder for them to come back and win so yeah. that's why we did it yeah. <laughs> like you didn't you, I think that that's I think you saw lapses in teams I think at the early at the beginning of the season um, it's easy to, to relax I think you also saw some teams who you know, um, you know, simply put, they might not be as good as they thought that they were, and hopefully, you know, they they got uh, a reminder. And plus, like when you do like the divisional games, division games are weird. Any anything can happen in the NFL, but especially in those games. But it makes for great television. I was watching Red Zone just sitting on the edge of my seat. You know. Yeah. Well, speaking of teams that may not be as good as they are advertised, there's a couple teams in particular. One. They kind of did this shit last year. The other one didn't. But the first one of my two teams that I think that are iffy right now are the Packers, who lost to the Vikings in their opener. But that's not really too strange because Rodgers tends to do that sometimes. Uh, The other team, of course, is my Broncos, who we really don't know where we are yet. On paper, we look pretty good. But so far... uh, in the games that we played against Houston and uh, Seattle, we're kind of looking a bit like a rookie team that doesn't belong. So, how do you feel about those teams, and where do you think they're going to finish ultimately uh, at the end of the season? Well, Aaron Rodgers demanded the trade and said that the Packers weren't doing enough to help him win. And, surprise, uh, a guy who's been known to lie was lying, and he just wanted the contract. And, you know, he doesn't have any great talent, developed talent on offense because they can't afford to put it there. Mm-hmm. You know, the controversy about Devontae Adams and why he left and Rogers said he didn't know he was going to go and then a report said otherwise. And at, the, at the end of the day, the Packers have a really good defense and Aaron Rodgers is a great quarterback, but he has no one to throw to and he has no one to throw to in the age of offense and the age of the wide receiver. So I think the Packers are probably if they could win that division, you know, maybe you know, they, I would probably guess on them to do it. And they, I think you know I think they're a wild card team at worst, but they're not a Super Bowl contender, and I don't think that they're great. And you know, Aaron Rodgers opted for money, and I don't begrudge anyone that. Um, but you know, the, the days of them being a truly elite team are dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, in regards to the Broncos. Um, I don't understand why Hackett does some of the things that he does. You and me both. <laughs> I don't know why Javante isn't getting the ball more. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why. Um, I don't know why some of the play calling is what it is. Like if you go back to Week One, which I know you don't want to, and I'm not trying to troll you or be mean. Um, those two red zone. Um, Appearances, yeah, yeah. to fumbles. One of them, you know, was just a result of someone not hearing an audible. And I blame Russ more than anyone else because for someone who played there for nine years, ten years, however long it was, he should have been more prepared to 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 play in that environment. Yeah, you know, I couldn't understand. Like, I remember. And then look, I know the years have gone by, and, and offensive have changed a little bit, but. 
I don't think the philosophy has changed that much. I remember many times when Elway would play on the road, they would have silent counts. Yup. And, you know, I just... And I kind of pointed back in week one about the lack of preseason because somebody who I argued with over that in the preseason came back and said uh, in week two that we look like we're playing preseason. I said, well, imagine that. If we had actually done this shit in the preseason, we probably wouldn't be looking this bad right now. And that's fair because so the preseason thing is really fascinating because the Rams, if you look at them, McVay doesn't believe in it because... Right. (laughs) And... And they, he's done no preseason for the starters, really, for five years. And it worked beautiful until, was, you know, we came out and shit the bed. You know, they're my NFC team. And they, I, didn't, I didn't attribute that week one beating that the Bills gave us to lack of preseason. I attributed it to us being high, you know, resting on our laurels and, and celebrating. Right. And you also had Von Miller and the other team didn't, and that mattered a lot. But and there, you know, there are some teams that with who have a lot of continuity who don't need it, and so I think my stance on the preseason is you can argue it both ways. There's data that supports it both ways, but to your point, you have a rookie head coach with a quarterback who is also new, with young wide receivers who you know Button has had injury issues, Judy has had injury issues, like. There's some continuity, but there's gaps in the continuity. Maybe in your situation, preseason would matter more. Exactly. That's my, and that was what I was kind of getting. I was like, we're too young. We're too green. We got a lot of new faces. Nobody's worked with each other until now. So to me, preseason would have mattered a lot more for us. Whereas, even with, and again, you said it yourself that. It, it, it's kind of all over the place in terms of how preseason affects team, but when you look at Buffalo and Kansas City, they played their starters throughout the preseason, and they came out of the gates hot. Like, they are, like, playing very well. So, yes. And I, I think that it's, you know, like, in something like football and in competition, it's hard to nail down, like, you should always do this, you should always do that. I want to say it was... Um, the Ravens three or four years no it was, it was pretty early in Harbaugh's tenure there where they didn't play a lot of their starters in the preseason because they're, a lot of them were just hurt yeah. and so by necessity it's like okay my star running back has a hamstring injury I'm not playing him in the preseason even though I would like so it's complicated but at the end of the day too to your point Hackett made that decision and it blew up in his face. Head <laughs> yeah. coach get a lot of credit, and they also get a lot of blame. Yeah. Um, and look, so, it's all it's all learning, and I get it. So he's probably going to approach preseason extra a little differently. But it doesn't, and if y'all suck at the start of the year, oh my god, he's going to get memed to death. Yeah, and he has. And he ha- yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Uh, uh, let's talk about a couple of quarterbacks that like they're both on different ends of the spectrum but they both seem to have a history of injuries and again they face an injury this year Trey Lance just goes out for San Fran Uh, the young quarterback really hasn't had a chance to shine this was supposed to be his year and then all of a sudden he blows out his knee or something and he's out Uh, on the other side of that 
uh, a very good quarterback and Dak Prescott uh, gets hurt again and he's not going to be out the entire year I don't think but he fucked up his finger or something and he's gone for a few games so it, it, what what is the story with these two guys do we think that ultimately they're going to be the franchise guys they want is Dak ever going to see the uh, the sun or the uh, gold at the end of the rainbow because uh, he just can't seem to stay healthy just bad things happen and Cowboys are probably like, what the fuck can we do to keep this guy upright? He he got so that's what sucks. When you have a lot of injuries like Dak has had, and you don't suffer like a major one, like what happened to his leg, you can still throw the ball and break your finger off of the helmet, which is what happened to Russell Wilson. That's that happened to Kurt Warner. That's the injury that can happen to anyone. But mm-hmm. The problem is is that he's missed a lot of games due to other injuries as well. And so I don't think you'll ever see the sun, and it's not because of him. I think it's because, like, the Cowboys are they are good at drafting, and but they are too scared to dip into free agency, and they, are fall, they, they, they overpay their offensive line, and that was always a limit on them, even with Zeke. They had so much money tied up in them. And if you look at the past Super Bowl winners, Sands, the the Bucks, none of them have had dominant offensive lines. They've had good lines, and there's right, right. Uh, but you know, to be to be fair to that, um, they still couldn't keep fucking Dak healthy. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Like, like maybe I'm arguing against myself here. I just, I think that the way that Jerry Jones runs that team is. He's scared to take risks in free agency, and we've seen it pay off. Like the biggest, you know, payoff to me, Darrell Rivas in 2014 for the Patriots was what that team needed exactly. You know, the Eagles when they got Alshon Jeffrey in free agency, like that stuff matters. So I don't put that on Dak's feet, um, but he has injury issues, um, and some of it's bad luck, and some of it might be the way that he plays. In regards to Trey Lance. It was awful because he broke his ankle in two different places, mm, and mm-hmm. and it, it sucks for him because he's a raw quarterback who you know coming out of college, you know he's a physical just absolute specimen. But Shanahan reportedly fell in love with him as a prospect because he's apparently super bright and loves film study, and he treats the game like academics and. He's a really hard worker, so he's like the anti-Paxton Lynch, right? Uh, (laughs) He can't. He couldn't beat out Garoppolo last year, and the Niners didn't really want to get rid of Garoppolo, and that's why they stalled on trading him even after the shoulder surgery and all that stuff. And I don't know what's going to happen with Trey Lance because he's running out of time. Yeah, you know, and and. Um, it feels more urgent for him than it does with Dak. And yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Because you know, for a young quarterback, this is the same problem that I think that Zach Wilson faces. Because well, I, I think Wilson has a lot of talent, but he can't fucking stay on the goddamn field. He can't. And yeah, he, quarterback. That's why Flacco was playing. Yeah. Yeah, I like the way that he plays, but when I saw him take off in the preseason, I was like, why? Did, yeah, did, did that did that remind you a bit of Carson Wentz there? Like the bad decision making about running. <laughs> yeah, it, it, but the difference is is that Wentz is 
built like Roethlisberger, and he can take it. Right, right. And Wilson is—he's an aggressive guy. He plays the win, and he—he—he he, he reminds me a lot of of Brett Favre in the way that he plays, in good ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get it, but at a certain point, bro, it is preseason, right? Like, it's not that important, dude. You don't have to win yeah. this game. <laughs> exactly. Take and if I was the coach, five. I would tell him that. I would be like, yeah, it's exciting to watch, but uh, don't I'm, fucking hurt yourself. I'm sure they probably told him, you know, but it's hard to take those instincts out of a quarterback that's so it used is. to. It is, and it's just like, take three steps, slide, show the coaches that you knew that running was a pro- If that happened in a regular season game or a playoff game, that's just football, and that sucks. Right. But in the preseason, you're just... <laughs> You're just screaming, no! <laughs> yeah, that. Uh, I just, yeah, I just think on those guys, like, because you know we we've seen a lot of new young quarterbacks come out in the last couple of years, and a lot of them are exciting. Burrow, uh, Mahomes, of course. So it'd be nice to see some of these other guys, you know, live up to their draft and be the new face of the future. But for like Zach and Trey, they've been hurt so often early that you're just kind of like, oh no, these guys will never have a career because they just can't stay on the field. Uh, yeah, exactly. And and it's weird because Trey is struggling with that on a really good organization with a really good coach and great talent around him and a great front office. And Zach Wilson, I feel like, has it harder because the Jets are just bad. And yeah. I know they have new front office people and I get that. And you can be optimistic problem is is that they don't have a single good wide receiver and they don't have anything special like on the offensive line they, that they drafted that guy two years ago that i fought with jade about with high Becton. yeah um well he likes to be overweight and gets hurt a lot and he's already out for the year so you know he was going to be their left tackle and he stunk it up and they moved in the right tackle and he was losing that job in camp and then he got hurt so there's just not a lot around. There's no infrastructure around Zach Wilson. Because mm-hmm. at least with Lance, he can say, I got Debo, I got Kittle, theoretically, if he's ever on. Talk about someone who's injured from. Yeah, and he's got, he's got like a better coach and everything else and defense. Yeah. So that's that, that he does have something waiting for him as long as he get healthy and stay healthy. But uh, Zach and New York, there are some problems because they've got always a lot of chaos going on there. And that's like a much more spotlighted place so the pressure to be the guy is a lot, lot more than it would be in San Fran yeah and he, I don't like his antics like the stuff with his with his mom and his uh, mom's best friend it's funny I don't know if you heard about that it's it's funny and alluding to it on Twitter is funny but it's not what you want to see out of your young quarterback right um it's hilarious. I laughed real hard, but that's not that's not the sign of a you know, I don't know if young Elway, young Marino were out there doing that. And if they were, they, they weren't putting it you know, they weren't running to the press with it, so to speak. Yeah, it's hard to say with uh, the way, you know, technology is now and the internet how it'd be back then, but yeah, to be fair, Joe Namath was Joe Namath was Yeah, he he was a mouthpiece, that's for sure. He's Broadway Joe. So let's talk a little bit about the Steelers and Browns tonight. Um, so Trubisky is still your starter, correct? Yes. 
And I thought he looked really good against the uh, the Bengals. Uh, who'd you guys play last week that you lost? We lost to the uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers, but they were playing the New England. <laughs> oh, New, New England. That's right. Okay. So, all right. So, okay. That's fair. Was that it? That was in Pitt too, wasn't it? it? Yeah, and it sucked because we were winning. We had control of the game, and then we muffed a putt. And they got the ball on our like eighteen or twenty something like that, and that was essentially the game. Um, okay, well, yeah. so you got the Browns tonight, and uh, they're one and one. They're just coming off that that comeback win from the Jets, which really stings, I'm sure. Um, what I'm curious about, because uh, you you are more in the know of what's going on in Steel Town than I am, um, what is the ultimate plan with uh, Pickett? Like, are they just going to let him sit for a year or two, or are they maybe going to bring him in later in the year unless the team is winning? What's the ultimate plan that they have yeah. for my boy? They are, yeah, our boy. He is our, he is our <laughs> Oh, you're on the bandwagon now! I wanted him, remember? Oh. I was fine with Willis. Yeah? I would I was yeah. I was drafting. I was drafting and calling for Pickett because to me he's a Tony Romo clone, and Tony Romo was a really good quarterback and certainly better than old Big Ben. So um, yeah, I just kind of felt where Pittsburgh was going into draft that he was the most most NFL ready. So if they uh-huh. need him in a pinch, uh, I think he'd be fine. Yeah, and and he he looked really good in the preseason. The so the best thing about Pickett. Um, other than his underrated mobility is he is a guy who has the intangibles and the football mental acumen and the Steelers feel that they are a playoff caliber team and they could argue that point because we we made the postseason last year and the defense really good especially when TJ Watt comes back please come back my savior please come back so unless unless Pickett was just God tier in the preseason, it was always going to be Trubisky's job. Yeah, and I, I think that's smart because uh, watching Trubisky last year as a backup to Josh Allen and Buffalo, I thought he did a really good job in preseason then too. So I was really impressed with Mitch and how he handled. Because like in Chicago, he was like up and down, uh, but I think getting the change of scenery helped him out a lot. Yeah, and Nagy, I mean, Nagy, the league thought he was an offensive genius, and then, uh, no, he's actually just a bad coach. And um, that's why I felt bad for Justin Fields being saddled with him as a rookie in Nagy's, you know, bankruptcy. Um, And Fields is probably ruined at this point, but that's a different conversation. (laughs) They can get the, um, the job when... Either two things happens, either aside from injury, because obviously that's you know that's just how football goes. Either Trubisky just starts playing poorly, and you know he's in a rut and it's just not working out, or the Steelers are eliminated. You know, maybe if we're up big or down big in the fourth quarter, he might get you know some snaps that way as well. Um, I wanted Pickett to start. Because when I watched him play in the preseason, Trubisky was better and he, could, he was more cognizant. Of course, he was, right? He's a better quarterback. Pickett was pretty close. 
and uh, Pickett had a lot of chemistry with George Pickens. Mm-hmm. Uh, was a tremendous talent um, at wide receiver. Has uh, just a quick question because you know I've been watching fantasy numbers and whatnot. Has Pickens even been really involved? Because I don't hear his name coming up in fantasy at all. No, Pickett hasn't thrown. Are, are you talking about Pickett or Pickett? Sorry. Well, Pickens and with Trubisky, like I know you guys got a lot of nice receivers, but I would figure Pickens would have been kind of a bigger factor for Trubisky. Oh, and I haven't seen well, him at all. You, your presumption is correct, except for the fact that that would require our beloved offensive coordinator to call a passing play that goes more than fifteen yards, <laughs> or a running play that's not a just. Oh, you're playing two thousand. Uh, 21 Denver Bronco football. Yes, sir. <laughs> but here's the difference. Pat Shermer could say, but I had three really good offenses once upon a time. And Matt Canada could say, well, I was a really average coordinator in college. Like, that's <laughs> So, can I read you some quotes from, from players on the Steelers about the coordinator and the game plan? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, we're going to start with Mitch Trubisky, who's a classy guy who never throws anyone under the bus. We have to call the right concepts to get the receivers there. Well, that's not that's not a good sign to hear that from your Let's hear Claypool, who is kind of a jerk and kind of a diva, but he did accurately say, we can only do what they tell us to do and try to execute it. Then, then there's uh, Deontay Johnson who says, we have to call the right plays to get down the field in the right ways. So his... The, Basically, all the best players on the Steelers' offense uh, basically said, we know we're good at football, but we're not doing things right. Um, It gets worse. Um, There's this beautiful quote from Merrill Hodge. And, um, you know, Hodge is a guy who wants to run the ball a ton. Merrill was the man back in the day. He was. He was. This is not a good quote. Um... for for Canada. It's probably the only running game that I've ever been confused on. I don't think that when you look at how he designs the run, I don't know if he's actually threatening the box. I actually think he he adds more people to the box because he puts more people in bad spots in the running game. Some of it's motions. They bring people in and they don't affect the game or the play. The jet stuff isn't affecting anybody. So now you have more people in there than you even wanted. Schematically, there's some stuff that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and okay, so two questions. Uh, one, is the OC just doesn't have faith in Trubisky? Because Trubisky can throw the ball. I know this. And I think he actually did make some longer plays in preseason, did they not? He did, and he hit a couple big ones week one because we were down. He hit that... Uh, it's one of the best catches I've ever seen, and no one's talking about it because it was so crazy. But if you Google Deontay Johnson week one, mm-hmm. that was a throwing a crazy catch. Canada is, I'm trying to be fair, and it's hard for me because I really dislike him. I hated him last season, and I wanted to give him a chance this the season. But, oh. Yeah, he's, he's just trash. He's trash. Uh, he's Matt Canada, and he needs to be Matt America and throw the goddamn ball. <laughs> 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 That's a great tagline. Need to make a shirt, dude. You gotta get that made up and take it to a big, big game. I protection and sell that. Fuck Canada. Need more America, America. Yeah. And it, but he 
what he believes in is you run the ball predominantly with the jet sweep. I don't know why, but that's his shit. And you play the intermediate passing game. Now, to be fair, our offensive line is not very good. Right. Well, that that's something that the Steelers have been ignoring for a few years now, and it fucking pissed me off because... I'm not really a Steeler fan uh, per se, but I do kind of like him. And I did like Big Ben. He was getting murdered. He's as big as he was, Dude. was still getting murdered behind that fucking oh line. Oh my god! Yes, they ignored the yeah. shit out of it for and years, did, and they did it because Ben was quote unquote tough. Like he would, he he was he, tough, but he like would, he would play a, with a boot. He'd play with a broken <laughs> right. hand. He'd play with a broken nose, and they did it because they're like Ben's just gonna keep going. Suck out Suck it there. up, Ben. Yeah, just rub some ben. dirt on that shit. <laughs> But even back then, they at least had the decency to get offensive linemen who were good at run blocking. Right. And Pouncey and Villanova and some other guys, the offensive line was actually good. They were old, but they could pass block, and then some of that was Ben's play style. But that was six, seven years ago. Right. In the past years, the line has not been great. But Canada does everything... Like, if you were to sit down and look at all the things an offensive coordinator can do to help out his offensive line, Matt Canada does none of that. None. Absolutely none. So <laughs> We need so, some America. <laughs> so, so when he when you watch them play, you're like, oh, that's a that's a, a three step drop back. Cool, great. Like that will protect the quarterback. You can get the ball out. We have speed, elite speed and size at wide receiver. So maybe we can make a play. But when it's the same fucking play three times in a row, it's oh, like no. it doesn't matter. Claypool is is massive and fast. He's going to get tackled. It doesn't matter um, if everybody knows what your play calls are. It doesn't matter if you're never going to throw in a five-step or a seven-step drop back or a naked bootleg or any of the things that you see Kyle Shanahan and, and Sean McVay and Bruce Arians or other good offensive coordinators do when the pass rush is getting home to right. the quarterback. And on top of that, you know, there's just no other way to put it. Um, Matt Canada does not make any adjustments. So when things finally start going right, like he's killing not Harris um, by running him into overly stacked boxes and all of that, and he's just he's just not good at his job, and he's not he, like I would love for the Steelers to play like they did when we went fourteen and two, and Ben Roethlisberger could hang in there, and that Chase Claypool was a rookie and he had like the eight touchdown season, he was a big play machine, right, and kind of through it and hit those big plays the line is worse now than it was then so you, you can't do that but he will just absolutely refuse to go I've been doing short passes and I've set up some big play potential and then not capitalize on it so it, he, he just he is inefficient and just stubborn like don't like him it's like his my way or the highway yeah it sounds definitely like Broncos last year all right, so before we let you go, uh, your prediction for tonight, what's the score? Cleveland 21, Pittsburgh 17. Um, Where are they playing? We are, oh, God, I actually 
don't know that. Um, we, hold on, let me uh, look I take at a it. wild guess. It's probably in Cleveland. We got 50-50, baby. 50-50. <laughs> yeah, Cleveland or Pittsburgh. Two steel <laughs> cities. It's, it's, it's at Cleveland. Yeah, that's um, what I thought. My, my frustration is um, if we lose to this backup quarterback, it's going to be really sad. Um, <laughs> and it's going to be sad to know. It's going to be really sad to know that we will be giving the Browns hope. They should be hopeless. They should be going. Deshaun Watson is suspended for so long yeah. that our season is over. Exactly. And yeah, they've already they've already kind of had their revenge tour to open the season against Baker and the Panthers. So. Oh God! Oh Baker! Baker is so mid. He's <laughs> Bag. Yeah, I felt for him somewhat in the offseason because he got traded even though he didn't handle it very well. And then I watched him play week one and I was like, you know what? I said that he is a middle tier quarterback who can make some plays, but the talent in Cleveland carried him a large, not carries too far, but the, the, he was more of a Supported, product. supported. Yeah, exactly. Like he benefited a lot from the team that he was on. Yeah, it was it was just another one of those games where I was really surprised that he didn't like everyone told me, well, Seattle really wanted to beat Denver and I'm like, Well I get that, but Rush should really want to fucking beat Seattle. He had something to prove too. And the same one thing yeah. with Mayfield. It's like you're playing the fucking Browns, dude, the very team that didn't want you anymore. That's the best you can fucking do. <laughs> Yeah, like, you're supposed to go out there. Like, the big argument for Baker is that he's tough and competitive. And that's the best that he has. Robbie Anderson and DJ. So it's not like he doesn't have anyone to throw to. Right. When he's healthy. Exactly. It wasn't like he didn't have any. Now, that defense is not very good. But, you know, on offense, he's not thankless. And with, with, to your point about Russ in Seattle, like, you know, Pete Carroll has taken a lot of passive aggressive shots at Russ over the years, mm-hmm. and then they tried to trade him to Cleveland. So it's like, Russ, you need to go out there and beat the brakes. Like you need to just rip their soul out of their body. That's what I'm saying. I mean, he didn't necessarily have a bad game from like a no. Stat Russ, Russ himself was not doing terrible that game. We completely blame everything on Hackett, Hackett. yeah, and the fumbles and all the other bullshit. But yeah. They keep, now, Judy, um, that touchdown, that pass sucked, and he worked a miracle. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was, but it Judy's was short. like that. But, um, yeah, oh, so Carol and, like, even some former Seahawks are throwing uh, Russ under the bus now about that, uh, that, that pass in the Super Bowl against the Pats. They're trying to lay that on him now because, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure that Carol admitted that that was his call, and even Beast Mode was pissed off at Carol about the choice to not run it. Well, well, you know what's crazy? So this is something that I say in defense of Russ there. That passing play was their best red zone play all year. Mm-hmm. And if you look, and people, no one wants to talk about this because, you know, why, don't let a fact get in the way of a good narrative. But if you look at the stats for beast mode in short yardage situations in the red zone, he was below league average. Right. So, um, people, you know... Uh, there are a lot of players on that defense who are children, like Richard Sherman, for instance, one of the most of all time. Yeah. Like, I'll tell you this. If you're a zone coverage corner, you don't belong in the Hall of Fame. 
because you're not guarding an elite player. You're guarding AstroTurf. But that's a that's a different conversation. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, man, for calling in and our call. We calling you and doing this with us. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for entertaining us. Thanks for all your input. Um, Thank you for having Dropping the knowledge. I know. I've like. I. I, I know. I've just been kind of like throwing. I love football, and I know some football, but you guys like really know football. <laughs> I feel like dumb. I'm like. No, nah, yeah, you're football. passionate about it. I'm like football's good, guys. Totally. I. I love it. It's great. <laughs> you know. If you want to see some really bad takes on football, just join a, join a message board. And you'll feel. Oh, good. she's actually a member of the Broncos. I she just never goes there. I don't think I've signed in. And in you're not years. missing much. I don't need to. <laughs> it's a yeah, shit hole. <laughs> uh, people there are great, but there are some some real hot takes on some things that are just not factually in dispute. But yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> well, just remember, Mercury is still in retrograde. Bleh, retrograde. I hate that fucking word. And there is lots of possibilities this week and next week. For- well, hopefully, the retrograde affects the brownies and the Steelers can pick up a win. How about that? Uh, I need it. I, I need it in my for my soul. <laughs> I hate them so much. You know, I I feel like the Browns are kind of like the heel all the time, don't you? Like, well, they you know look they they're just they have a lot of talent. They do. Uh, they're just like a pain in the ass. But you would have thought stuck on the foot of like of I football. said after Deshaun being suspended, I thought okay, the Panthers got them in week one. Panthers and Mayfield, he's got a, an axe to grind. He'll probably go out there and whip their ass. That didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Last week, they're pretty much beating on the hapless Jets, and then they allowed them to come back. I mean, that was like a gut killer for them, but. They're a team that's competing. Like they're not even giving a shit about the uh, the Deshaun Watson thing. They're just coming out and playing, which mm-hmm. is good for them. Uh, so, and this is a this is a, a division game with the Steelers. So it's like they're not going to lay down, and no. uh, <laughs> it's it's going to be quite entertaining. This is what the the Browns do. Even when they play the Ravens, when they're overmatched, they give the Ravens everything they can. They may not win, but they do it. And the same with every the Bengals and Steelers. So it, this is one of the toughest divisions in terms of rivalries that you'll ever see. It is. And, you know, historically, the Browns, even when they're bad, usually their defense wasn't horrible. And it was just like they get gassed because they're on the field. Because you've, you've seen the stats of the 50 different quarterbacks that Cleveland's had since, you know, they they went back to, to, to Cleveland, so on and so forth. But they got one of the best linemen that I like in Garrett. He is yeah. a monster, dude. I uh, what is the name of their Miles Garrett? Yeah, you know, he, he, he is a monster. <laughs> yeah, he. You know he's he's no T.J. Watt. Um, you know he's 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 not nearly the pass rusher that T.J. Watt it. Well, see, if I could take some players right now, it'd be Garrett Watt. Micah Parsons. I, I can go all over the league and find some players I really want. <laughs> there are, yeah, there's freaks. Micah Parsons is, you know, people forget because he's such a ferocious pass rusher, but he can cover. Yep, yep. Same with and Devin they, White. Yeah, and if they had inside linebackers, like, you know, he, he wouldn't have. And it's not like he covered a lot, but, like, he's just, he's a freak. I thought he was the best player in that draft class, and, you know, he's nuts. And, but he's he's a lot. I don't want to compare him to Lawrence Taylor because there's some really bad things that go along with that comparison. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. On the field, 
he reminds me of of Lawrence Taylor and Derek Thomas, or, or as a pass rusher, is who he reminds me of. Right. Um, so are you? Are you? Uh, sorry, keep going. Sorry. I was gonna, no, no, you're okay. I was just going to say, but you have one of those freaks on your team um, in Sertan. So um, when he gets when he gets going and Chubb, you know, Chubb is a monster. It's just health with him. If yeah. Chubb stays, Chubb needs to kind of step up. Um, I do he, like him. I just he needs to really kind of come into his own. Uh, Sertan, I have no worries about. Uh, he's legacy, which, you know, is surprising sometimes because some, we see a lot of younger players who have legacies come in and they don't do much, but he seems to be the real deal. He is his father. He's just a more talented version of his dad. His dad was a good corner. Yeah. So, no. Um, last thing I will say for your, for your, your defense, um, and I am optimistic about the Broncos. I think that they will be a wild card team. Um, I, I, I have you guys at about ten or eleven wins. Mm-hmm. Um, when that offense gets figured out, and it will for no other reason than Rusty running it, and you start to get a lead, and you can unleash those those pass rushers, and you got two of them, it's going to feel like a different game, and uh, that's when you'll really have fun. Right. So. Well, thanks again, man. Uh, hold on a quick second. I'm just going to stop our recording here, and then I'll talk with you, and we'll let you go. But yeah. many thanks for taking the time out to do this for us, man. We really appreciate it. We love having you on. I, it, I've been looking forward to it. I really I really enjoy it because we, we get to shoot the shit and and talk about the stuff that we, you know, the, the stuff that we find interesting. And you and I see the game. And to, like uh, A lot of the stuff that I had written down to talk about I just had to freestyle with questions that you asked me. So, mm-hmm. oh, we're on the same wavelength. You guys are on the same football wavelength. <laughs> oh, we, yeah. He and I oh. could probably at least do like a four-hour show just doing nothing but sports you talk. You guys should. You should do like a little spin-off and do like poet, okay, well, poet we'll, moves. We'll, we'll have Poet move out and live with us and we'll just do, we'll move ourselves to like YouTube and we'll just do four-hour shows <laughs> with sports talk. Well, <laughs> Yeah, uh, can I ask y'all a question? Sure. sure. How do you feel about the Brett Favre scandal? Because that shit is driving me insane. Uh, I'm a little new to it, and from the very little that I've heard, it's not a good look. But I don't want to jump to any conclusions because I really don't know. Okay, anything. so I don't know anything about this. What did Favre well, do? Let's talk after because okay. we're kind of cutting long on here. So let me just stop the recording. We can talk a little bit more. More later on. <laughs> I salute you people of the underworld. I'm Nick from the Greek heavy metal band Accelerator. And I want you to rock hard with the Metal Tavern Show. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and I hope you hurt your ears listening to a hot brand new album. Hell yeah! Chat with Edgar Allan Poet, some sports talk. He's one of our favorite people, and clearly you guys have been friends for a long time. Um, I Like I was saying in the um, interview, I love football, Like, but you guys are so up to date on everything and all the stats that I just, I was just kind of letting you two run the show. Yeah, do it together, so. Yeah, it's, it's Not fine. do it together, but. <laughs> <laughs> Not do it. Not do it. 
All right, well, let's get back into a couple blocks of music because I know that's why you're all here. In this next block, new stuff from Phobophilic, Deconsecration, but here's some brand new stuff from Ascarnum, Anguish Ad Nauseum.
everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer. Hey, Beak and Zell R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now.
losers. No one else will hear the thousand of black metal. Well, the wannabe. Black metal, them thousand. And the interpreter of the comments from Saukyu. You are in the company of DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Pattern Radio. The best place to be. Stay tuned with these legends. 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 He's a legend. He is a legend. He is the master legend. Oh, I love him. He's so fucking talented. And our interview with him was phenomenal. Like, when he went through his process of creating and um, explained how he's he's a composer, so he's his idea is creating the right atmosphere, and he does what he feels on that day. It's he. Yeah, he, he doesn't. He's not like. Making some people, some musicians and artists I've talked to, they, they kind of like write all this material that sits for a while, and then after a time they'll go back and change things up. But he's more of like, if I'm not feeling it, the writing process or anything, I just don't do anything. And then, but also he'll come with all these ideas at once, and he'll break out an album's worth of stuff, and he'll put it out there. And he just, yeah, it's you know, he doesn't really stress too much about it. He just, if it's there great if not he'll wait and then go from there but the stuff that he puts out is like really really uh impressive mm-hmm. so we're gonna get into our rock block here mm-hmm. in this we got some incognito theory from uh metal devastation radio as well as creepy little things which will kick us off soon uh classic material from black tears and saint but i also have some new stuff from a sound of thunder thunder and of course your pick of the week but right now we're kicking off some creepy little things. This is called Testify. <laughs>
everybody. This is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 to noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio.
old school metal rock band called Black Tears, Child of the Storm. Neko and I were grooving to that. And Saint right before that was Star Pilot, a little bit of priest worship there. We enjoyed that one too a lot. I know. So, so what? Your last pick of the week for a while. What we got? So I am um, leaving in, let's see. A week? One, night gone. Like four days? Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Yeah, Tuesday night. So like three and a half days I'm leaving. And DJ Anubis is going to be all by himself until the end of november so you guys be nice to him so treat me right basically he's gonna put on hiatus a couple of things until i get back so that we can get get back at it together yeah, yeah. i i picked this week a song that you know just gives me gives me my like uh high school college vibes Cause, and everybody knows this fucking song. Like, I, I can't imagine. And when it gets played on the, the radio or you're at a... It was played at weddings. Like, <laughs> people are like... <laughs> played at the wedding. Yeah, well, remember at, at Cliff's wedding, the band sang this. And and that was really cool. Like, people don't have bands anymore with, with weddings. Yeah. But that was, that was really cool. Yeah, I think that's, that's kind of a cool way to go. That was a well-thought-out thing there. They, um... Apparently, they enjoy going to this particular bar and this band plays at the bar a lot so they hired them but anyway the song i'm talking about is my own worst enemy the song by lit and obviously it's an alternative punk ish song it's a short song that... i've always yeah i've always kind of looked at this band as similar even though this is probably not the only song i really know from them but it reminds me a lot of um Blink-182, Blink yeah, mm -hmm. the, the kind of fun energy and, and it's the, the around funny that, lyrics. It's around that same time, too, yeah. like, that, but it really is all-encompassing of that time, you know, the, the type of music that was coming out. But here's the funny thing. I did not realize that this song was, like, as big as it was. Like, I thought, clearly it's big because everybody knows it, but... They actually got the Billboard Music Award for Modern Rock Track of the Year. That's the song did, and kudos for them. And they were nominated for the Modern Rock um, Album of the Year that same year. So, you know, it's this is kind of like where you're thinking about I, like in 1999, going going tanning in the tanning bed, which nobody really does anymore because we all thought it was safe and it's not really safe and now people my age all have a bunch of fucking melanoma because we tanned ourselves to death <laughs> <laughs> now it's all about the spray tan yeah now it's all about the spray tan we're like we're gonna be better but you know that was the thing and you'd go in and you'd lay in there for a few minutes and they'd have the radio playing and it would be like this and blink green day um avril lavigne um yeah it was kind of like the it's weird because Ashley Simpson like that's the, the early I, 90s was like the breakout of alternative rock and grunge and everything and then the middle of it kind of got a little bit stale and just kind of was there and then also in the late 90s because you had Soundgarden that was put out super unknown and and then like you know Biscuit and all that and then HFS festivals like it just kind of like it was like the last hurrah of the alternative wave and this was one of those bands that kind of was on the, the tip of that, along with Blink-182 and a lot of those bands like that. Everclear. Yeah. I feel like this, too, like, 
the early alternative grunge stuff was like Darker. dark yeah. this is poppy and yeah. they purposely made it poppy but they still have like the heavier guitars and the like you know some of those songs too not not this song but we'll have like blast beats and stuff but it's like happy yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know but they're actually singing um if you listen to the words they're actually not singing like about always cheerful stuff especially another one was that song semi-charm kind of life i think we did that on this one time yeah they're sing they're singing about doing crystal method like it, <laughs> yeah. it's but it's like do 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 that's what this whole era you know it was like a micro era of music was it was it sounded all chipper but they're still singing about doing drugs and getting wasted and but in a happy way and I can, I can that literally just makes me think of a good thing to do when you get back is talk about the different approaches during the 90s with alternative rock. Because, because this, is, this is still considered Because really, that early part, when you think of like Nirvana, Soundgarden, uh, Pearl Jam, just there's certain songs that kind of define those ones. We talk about Jeremy a lot mm -hmm. in Pearl Jam. So, or Black is one of the ones which, with uh, Pearl Jam. It'll is... be fun kind of like debating the two different parts of the 90s where that did change and it was more even though some of the, the lyrics were still serious the vibe was totally different than what you had but early. where this the the lyrics are still about drugs and and partying, and, and, partying and, and abuse and stuff but it sounds like a happy song like yeah. and it's not really always a happy uh activity as well you know like right. they're, they're singing happily but it's like a facade, and and you know I do think that this that lit deserves it. It, it. it the longevity of the music, the the song has survived. Think about how many commercials that this has been in, how many movies this this has been in, how recognizable as soon as you hear it, and you know the only way that I mean honestly I like the song, but it it will grate on you if you hear it too much. It's the only way that you're gonna get annoyed with it is just and it got overplayed. I mean it really did, but. You know what, I haven't heard it in a long time, and I was thinking about the song, and I said, you know what, this should really be a pick of the week, because it really kind of highlights that late 90s sound, and plus, I didn't realize that they've actually won awards for the song, so here it goes, let's listen to My Own Worst Enemy by Lit, literally it's like two minutes and 40 seconds, it's, it's one of my shorter songs, but <laughs> it shows that you can get a lot done in two minutes. Yep. Attention, please. Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. In a moment, we will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow. And we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ladies and gentlemen, Let's welcome DJ Neko's pick of the week. <laughs> 
DJ Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and KG related, then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course everyone's favorite comic breeding lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaborations with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw and real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y Sci-Fi Century Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla related information Peace Alright We're back Gonna talk a little bit about Cobra Kai Season 5 and season four, as it ended, if you haven't been keeping up, you might not even know what the fuck we're talking about. But for those that have been, John Kreese, the original sensei for Cobra Kai, has been arrested for assault on Stingray, a guy, Stingray, big big dude, who's uh, kind of a goofball, but uh, loyal to the Cobra Kai. But it was all a ploy to set up <laughs> by boy. Terry Silver, yeah. Uh, to get Kreese out of the way so that he can take over the Cobra Kai dojo and basically start his global domination of making Cobra Kai worldwide with dojos all over the world and all over the valley. And they wanted to go to, um, what was the name of that? God damn it. <laughs> but, uh, in other parts of the storylines, uh, Miguel uh, Diaz, who is one of the students of Miyagi-Do, as well as uh, Johnny Lawrence, uh, who's his sensei, and they're good friends, of course, because Johnny's dating his mother. Mm -hmm. But Miguel, uh, at the end of season four, uh, was feeling this longing to reconnect with his birth father. So he took off to Mexico. And kind of left uh, just not telling anybody. Like, he just took off. Um, so we find him searching around, asking about where his dad is, and kind of goes into the wrong crowds occasionally, almost getting really hurt. But uh, eventually finds his dad, and he's kind of, like, connecting with him a little bit, even though the gentleman that's his dad doesn't know who he is. Uh, but I have a feeling in next season we're probably going to see this guy again for some reason. But what he sees in his dad, who's currently remarried with a kid of their own, another kid, uh, he thinks that his mom's been lying to him about how good or bad his dad was. But to make a long story short, as quickly things start to turn around, he understands that his dad's really not that great of a dude, and... He's like an international drug cartel right, leader. Right, and he and... runs underground fighting and stuff like this, and basically, uh, Johnny Lawrence and his son Robbie, who actually has sort of this rivalry with Miguel, uh, as teens, you know, over girls and everything else, mm -hmm. uh... 
end up going to Mexico to, to find Miguel, and they do, and they bring him back, and you know Miguel's kind of torn up about discovery of his dad being a grade A douche. Grade A douche. Um, but we also again we have Terry who's now trying to broaden his horizons with the Cobra Kai dojos, and of course uh, Daniel Larusso, played by Mount Ralph Malchio. Uh, is now again trying to stop this but Daniel is kind of going about this in a way that he's being outsmarted by Terry so every time he's trying to confront Terry and expose him Terry turns the tables on him and in turn gets Daniel in trouble with his wife it becomes a family problem and then now he's having issues with his family because the the mother is just kind of like fed up with it all she really doesn't doesn't truly understand what Daniel went through with Terry back in the day, but at the same time, she's kind of like tired of the fighting. She's tired of seeing the kids mm-hmm. uh, fighting each other, and it's becoming like this big colossal war, and it's having a lot of toll on everybody. Um, so there is a point there where Daniel's actually going to Johnny Lawrence's apartment, trying to talk to him about what to do. He's drunk off his ass at first. He wants to fight again, and Johnny's the one that's actually being level-headed saying. Dude, what's going on? Just sit down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's one thing about Cobra Kai that I've really enjoyed is that we see the other side. Of it. it all started with the first season with Lawrence. Like, it wasn't the same thing as we saw in, I think it was the third film in the series uh, where we met Terry Silver, where Kreese was the one they were kind of looking at. He was on down his luck. And he got Terry back involved to rebuild Cobra Kai in that movie. And that's when they kind of like fucked with Daniel LaRusso a lot. But this series for Cobra Kai, when they start with Johnny, was more of like a redemption arc for Johnny Lawrence. And it took a while because, again, Daniel finding out Johnny was recreating Cobra Kai became a big issue. But Johnny, at some point in season one, like at least towards the end with Miguel, like he can see where the problems were. He's like, okay, I've got to change the philosophy here. But there's a lot of miscommunication, so Daniel still thinks that Johnny is the bad guy and the one trying to create the problem but over the course of the next three seasons we see these guys come together a little bit they still butt heads a little bit but overall we have this unity forming and then of course from season was it, it was last season I think mm-hmm. where he went and what's the guy's name from the second film the Asian guy that we always uh, the main villain in that one. Oh crap I am bad at this. Uh, and I should know this because we just got done watching this not too long ago. Chosen. Yeah, chosen. Thank you. Yeah, so he, of course, uh, has come to America to help Daniel and Johnny find a way to shut down Terry Silver because Chosen is familiar with the fighting style that Terry Silver uses. Uh so the there's way some, of the fist. Yeah, there's, so there's some cool stuff that Chosen does. Chosen actually infiltrates Cobra Kai as a sensei at first. And Terry catches on and he tries to set him up by having him fight the other senseis there. But Chosen kicks all their asses and leaves. Uh, that's when Terry actually goes outside of that and goes back to Japan and gets some other senseis that are a little bit more dangerous, a little bit better fighters uh, to help him do this. Uh, and in the meantime, of course, you still have um, Tori, uh, who is like the lead fighter for the Cobra Kai, uh, 
and she's still got this rivalry a little bit going on with Daniel Russo's daughter. Uh, again, over boys and stuff like you know. But now we. But kinda... she also broke her wrist. That was the other big thing. Tori broke um, Samantha's wrist. Yeah. What? Well, yeah. We. And then remember, some... Robbie is the one who ended up putting Miguel in the hospital. Right. So Tori is dating Robbie. And Samantha is dating Miguel, but Samantha used to date Robbie. Yeah, like, it's, it's, and same thing with Tori. She used to date Miguel for a short mm -hmm. period of time. So there's like this crisscrossing that's going on. Uh, so, yeah, so, but we also find out that Tori later in this season is kind of playing a secret agent. Like she's been talking with Kreese, even though Kreese has his own agenda because he's in prison, but he's keeping in touch by using Tori because mm -hmm. he's still pissed off. Terry Silver for putting him in there. Uh, so Toy, you know, kind of has her own agenda to try to get Terry Silver out there as well, but she's kind of left on her own island because nobody, she can't trust Magot, uh, Miyagi Do mm -hmm. uh, because of all of them animosity towards her. Uh, and then she can't even trust Silver or anybody there in her own dojo because that would lead to problems, which eventually kind of gets exposed by her. Uh, showing her affection for Robbie when he shows up to talk shit to Silver at one point. Mm -hmm. he, the female uh, sensei. sensei was who was like the leader of her group that's helping Sil uh, Silver uh, teaches her a lesson by making her like punch like stone or something. And that's what remember Terry Silver did to Daniel in the Karate Kid 3. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of calls. We actually get to see the gentleman, and again, I'm so fucking bad. I should have read up on this a little bit before we got in here. Who are you talking about? The guy that earned uh, uh, owned the furniture shop. That was the actually. Uh, Mike Barnes. Yes, he's the guy that was actually trained by Silver to beat up on Russo. Mm -hmm. and he was the bad boy of karate. So Russo goes to his furniture shop thinking that. Barnes is going to be involved because they warned him that Silver might reach out to former people that he knows and, and Barnes is around there but it turns out Barnes is legit he learned from his lessons of being an asshole and he's just an honest good guy uh, businessman for furniture and he loves furniture uh, of course his talking with LaRusso ends up with his furniture shop being burned down mm -hmm. by Silver so Barnes appears later in the series as well to fight against uh, Terry Silver, and there's a lot of back and forth. Uh, there's one point where we think one of them dies. I won't say who. Uh, but, yeah, I'm not going to tell you what exactly happens in because like, for those that haven't seen it, it's, it's better if you watch it and you get the feeling for it all to yourself, what happens at the end. I'm glad they did bring some sort of collude. A conclusion to it. But then there's still a, a fucking cliffhanger, as always. Well, yeah, because they're going to go another season. Like, they'll probably milk this until they can't do it anymore, mm -hmm. which is fine. I'm fine with that. It's, I've not been disappointed by any of it. In fact, I love the the John Kreese part. Uh, that It's probably what you're talking about <laughs> when we thought someone died. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, this, this season was really, really good. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I can't remember the young black kid's name. He's like one of the better fighters for Cobra Kai now, and he actually becomes like the big asshole. Like he's the one that's kind of like, I spent the entire season like, dude, just someone punches. Yeah, someone just punched this kid out, will you? 
And, uh, you know, Kenny has his reasons for his animosity, but it's always the same thing. Like, Cobra Kai teaches you how to be... It teaches you how to defend yourself, but it teaches you also how to be a bully, and that's basically what Well, he what was it, also bullied. That's what I and mean. That's, and that's, I think, what it happened is once he figured out, like, how to stand up for himself and how to fight, he's like, I'm just going to fucking bully everybody now because I can bully. Right, and that's what Robbie was trying to teach him against. Is like, look, they're just teaching you the wrong things. Like, you can defend yourself, but now you've become everything that you hate. And uh, so it was easy to hate Kenny's character in this because he really was just an asshole. <laughs> And it wasn't, even at the end, like, it's almost like there was a defiance by Kenny. Like, he's he, he kind of accepted that Silver was not who he thought he was, but then it's like, I gotta be alone, okay, I gotta think. Yeah, he, he didn't want to accept that, like, he'd been an asshole this entire time, because he was defending Silver and the dojo. He was, he was like, one of the, it was, it was so much, like, like a, a it, gang it, or some well, shit. Well, yeah. not that, but it's like, you, you feel for Kenny in the sense that, you know, he was like, because it was Silver that took him aside and said, look, you're going to be a leader or a follower. Right now you're a follower. And one of the guys that Kenny hangs with is a guy that kind of pushes him around a little bit and acts like he's the big shit. And he's actually the biggest talker with the weakest fighter, uh, which is ironic. And Kenny's like, fuck you, we're going to do it my way. And he took over the leadership role. And so Kenny kind of appreciates that about Silver, that somebody finally, because Kenny's kind of a small kid. So, he, you know, Silver said, look, You've got everything it takes to be a leader, a great fighter, so just do it. And so that's sort of like Kenny's dilemma. Like, it's like he hates that Silver was exposed for who he was, mm -hmm. but that now it's almost like he was fighting for the wrong person. Like, the wrong person was teaching him. So we don't, we don't know what's going to happen in the next season with Kenny, but chances are either he's going to come out of that animosity and, and grow or he's not. So he could be a, another villain going forward as far as the teens are concerned. Yeah, I mean, now that... But, again, with the cliffhanger, we think we've got everything wrapped up in a nice, neat, tidy bow, and woohoo! A little shock at the end, and it, it kind of like, you know, with... You don't know the future of Cobra Kai at this point. Yeah, and, yeah, because they were all vying for this tournament in Japan that was like a bigger deal than the All Valley. That was like the whole point of this uh, for Cobra Kai. Uh, but LaRusso and Lawrence and, and Chosen, they all decided that they were going to try to get in on this tournament thing. So there was like this competition. Uh, the, the people who were representing this other tournament said that they were both good enough to go. Uh, and then, of course, shit hit the fan when uh, Chosen and uh, Barnes approached uh, Silver's home complex and started a ruckus uh, that got really nasty to a point. But, you know, it's at this point, we don't know where Cobra Kai is going to lead it, but Kreese, you know, his character might appear again to do something with that. Um, you know, it's hard to say what. Tori's going to do this. Is she going to stay as a Cobra Kai? Is she going to go over to where Robbie and them are, probably? Uh, they seem to work out their differences with her and even LaRusso's daughter. Uh, so it all seems like on that end, it's pretty good. We don't, like, I still love Hawk. He had his, his moments in there. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I really like the characters. I think they've done a good job. It's a probably, unlike 
and I hate to say it, I don't like Miss Marvel. It does, it, even though there's teen drama in it, it's a lot more adult serious because we're dealing with the adults more than the kids, really, uh, with Lawrence and LaRusso and everybody. So uh, that's where it kind of separates itself from other shows that kind of have kids involved. Uh, there's just not a lot of that stuff that we saw in Miss mm-hmm. Marvel. I don't know. It just seemed like too kiddie for me for that particular series, but. Uh, We'll see. I really enjoyed the series. It's a lot of fun, and I look forward to season six. I do, too. All right, let's get back into our music. I've got some uh, Egmondes from uh, Quabar PR, some brand new Rot, R-A-T, R-A-T. And then uh, here we'll kick out some classic Necrophobic with Nailing the Holy One.
Hi, Jackie here from Battle X, and you're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. So, got a chance to check out a movie last night that my wife swears I watched with her, although I didn't. I thought you did. <laughs> so, she was sneaking movies in while I wasn't around, and, she, you know, it's funny because if I watch something that she's not around for, she gives me a rash of shit for it. Well, I guess it's two movies I've done this to right. over, and yeah. I'm really sorry, but I, I guess I watched this on the plane. It had to be, because, like, uh, because I think it really only recently came to Amazon Prime, like, w- within the last week or so. Because it was, this was, um, like, in May when I was coming home. I know I watched the, football the, the Kurt Warner movie, yeah. and I, he was like, what? Yeah, I'm like, I was waiting and waiting, because I, like, I said, oh, this is coming out, we gotta watch this. She's like, yeah, I'm watching that Kurt Warner movie. I was like, you bet. <laughs> but I probably, because... The flight home was quite long. Yeah, there's no way you're gonna get around it. You gotta find a way to entertain yourself, and it's like my goal this this time. That's is, probably all I'd be doing is just watching movies. I I think I'm gonna try and download um as much of my show as I can on my my Chad Duke show and um, listen to that, and then I have a couple of books that I've either started and stopped, and I'm gonna read. Uh, I'm trying to make. Because sometimes on these jobs, like, you don't know what you're going into. Um, I kind of know what I'm going into, and I feel like there's only going to be a couple of really busy days, and I'm going to try and get myself into a good routine. I was telling DJ Anubis that I'm going to try and finish some books I started. I'm going to try and ride the bike every day, so we'll see if that happens. If I come home, you know, 20 pounds later, hey, maybe good. Maybe not good. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but we had a chance to check out House of Gucci. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was one of the ones we had seen. Uh, was, we wanted to see together. And, uh, you know, I was impressed with Lady Gaga and A Star is Born. That's a movie that, you know, not necessarily something I'm super interested in, but I'm always curious about how she's going to act in it. And it turned out to be a very good movie, actually, just in terms of acting ability with Bradley Cooper and whatnot. And, I so think when we saw the trailer for this, I was like, okay, this looks like she's going to nail it as well. Like, I know nothing about it. You did. You had some sort of backstory, mm-hmm. which I didn't. But So we sat and watched it last night. Um, it, and it, I was happy to watch it again. That's not an issue. Yeah, and uh, it was good. Um, very interesting. Adam Driver plays uh, opposite of Lady Gaga. Uh, he plays uh, Maurizio, Maurizio Gucci. Gucci, and she's playing uh, Patrizia. Regania, Regania, Regani, Annie, Reggiani, Reggiani, yeah, yes. something like that. Um, so yeah, so Patrizia is basically a woman who kind of uh, her her parents are a truck. They have a trucking company. Yeah, out of the port, I think, mm-hmm. something like that. So uh, she works with them as like a receptionist or something of that factor, but. Uh, Obviously, one of the first scenes we see, she's walking to work from the the car or whatever, and the guys on the uh, out and taking care of the truck stuff are whistling and hollering at her, and she's kind of eating it up. Um, she seems like a girl who really likes 
the glam life, even though they're not really living it. Yeah, she's like a party girl, socially. Yeah, so uh, at some point early on after that, uh, she gets a call from a friend, I'm assuming, and they go to a big party hosted by somebody where Maurizio was at. Uh, she doesn't even know who to, who's holding the party, but she's there, and they're dancing and having a great time, and then she goes to the bar, and that's where Maurizio is kind of lost. He's kind of kind of a quiet guy who... He's in law school at the time. Yeah, he's, he's there, but, like, the, whoever the bartender was walked away somewhere, so she assumes that he's the bartender, and he's like, well, no, I'm not working here, but I'll fix your drink anyway, and that's how they begin talking. And uh, she, This is something that comes up later in the film as well, but early on she uh, she seems very smitten by Marito, so she's, like, kind of stalking him, so she ends up... Uh, following him to which is like a library or something for the school or whatever and he's in there getting books and she's kind of like peeking around corners and finally he's like oh yeah you're you're, you're a student here too yeah uh, so she she's obviously pursuing him as a love interest so she leaves her number with him and you know tells him to call her and uh, so they, they begin a relationship and it's they're getting pretty hot and heavy early on uh right away though Maurizio's father doesn't you know at first he seems pretty pretty cool with Patrizia but when she explains who she is and who her parents are it's like all, automatically it's like, oh no it's a girl with no money mm -hmm. <laughs> so he's warning his son that you know she could be a gold digger and trying to get him just because of that and Maurizio doesn't want to hear it. He's like, you know, we're in love. She's not like that. Uh, and so, eventually, Maurizio gets married. I don't think the father was even there for mm -mm, that. There was nobody, basically, on um, on uh, Maurizio's side because he became estranged from his father for right. years until his father got sick. Right. He wasn't so estranged to his uncle, though, because his uncle was the one who, Aldo, who... Played by Al Pacino, by And he did a really good job. Yeah. Uncle Aldo, um, he was convincing Maurizio that he need. He's like, we need, you know, some young blood in in Gucci. Like, come to New York, and he gave um, two tickets, airline tickets to, to New York. To yeah. New York, and you know, she was just so. She loves the glam life, so she just convinced Maurizio to go and do it. And, you know, they're there in New York having this blast. Uh, she's at the Gucci store trying on clothes and basically got her clothes for free because he's like, family discount, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, it's, and I think Aldo, uh, he kind of saw that right away with her. Like, he saw that she was hungry. And she saw that she could control right. Maurizio. So it, it, whatever he was doing was kind of like directed at her. Like, so if he could spoil her with gifts, that would help her push Maurizio to go to New York mm -hmm. and be a part of uh, Aldo's plan as far as like the Gucci name and everything. Uh, so yeah, uh, Jeremy Irons plays Rodolfo Gucci, who's Maurizio's father. Uh, and they, he has a good relationship with Aldo, and, you know, they talk, and uh, one thing that Aldo says early on in the film is, like, family is important, and so he, he pushes that. 
And so that's something that resonates with Patrizia because, you know, she does want a family. She does want stability. And she wants Maurizio to be uh, more than he is. Even though he wants to be a lawyer, it kind of shifts when he gets involved with Aldo because Aldo gives him a job at their building in New York and he's helping with the Gucci name and and carrying that business. Um, Jack... Hudson, okay. Uh, I was wrong when we talked earlier. He's not. He's not the one that walked down the uh, catwalk. Davinio De Sol, that's the lawyer that represents uh, Jeremy, and uh, he's the, he's the main lawyer dude with the glasses. That's I'm looking right at his picture. That's him. He's the one that drove up and served her papers at her daughter's thing. I don't think so. Okay. That's that's him. That's totally him. Um, Because he's the one that supposedly, uh, at that moment at the table, where Maurizio's like, oh, yeah, she told me about you doing stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So he's that guy. Uh, But, you know, generally when he's on your side, he's looking out for your best interests, basically. Um... And in fact, there's one moment where he's actually talking with Patrizia uh, when she's asking, like, what is it you do to family? What is it you would do? And he's like, I would protect their interests from anybody. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, she understands him pretty good at that point. Now, there's another point in this film where Patrizia, uh, she was watching TV one night and she sees a woman named Pina... Are you Mama, or Are you Mia, something like that, uh, played by Sama Hayek, who's a uh, supposed uh, clairvoyant or what would you call him? Uh, like a psychic. Psychic, yeah. It's like one of those psychic hotlines. Right. So she's she's all in. Like she calls up and they begin talking and they begin a, uh, a friendship. Now, one thing that Nick and I will say is that we've read some recent articles by one of the daughters of. Mauricio and Patrizia, and they've really uh, pushed back on some of the stuff the film shows in terms of how relationships were developed and what actually happened here and there. So you have to go into this film with a little bit of uh, skepticism just in terms of how accurate it is, but obviously it's Hollywood. They're trying to make it entertaining, so that's probably part of like, a lot of reasons for and, it. And what I said to Anubis was this movie was written for Lady Gaga. Like, the screenplay and everything was written for the Patrizia character. So, you see a lot of Patrizia character development, and you feel a lot of sympathy for yeah, the it was, character. That's, it was supposed to be like a sympathetic viewpoint of Patrizia. But when you see some of the surrounding characters, like Uncle Aldo, um, the family is because a lot of these people are gone now um, including Maurizio spoiler alert um, because they, they're they like you know they're kind of portraying some of these you know ancillary characters as kind of dumb mm-hmm. when in reality Aldo ran Gucci for 30 years right. you know Aldo was the person running the business even though his brother Rodolfo had the majority shares and that is where we're kind of coming to in this part of the movie where um, he gets word that his father is dying and they go back to Italy to spend time with him and um, 
you know, that's when he finds out that he has a granddaughter and, you know, he just wants to bury the hatchet and finally, you know, his father passes away and leaves Maurizio with the majority holdings of the Gucci Enterprise. Yep. Um, and it should be noted that Aldo uh, also has a son named Paolo, who's like the sort of... He's very flamboyant. Now, we don't know, because, again, some of the family is saying that... That's not like that at all. It's yeah. not like that. He was eccentric, but not like... They're, they're making him seem like he's a total imbecile a total idiot yeah, yeah uh it's played by jared leto too like you really won't recognize him like i was sitting there going like he looks like somebody i know i just couldn't pin he it. couldn't place him uh so when i saw it was jared like wow that's pretty amazing so jared's got a lot of range so despite some of the faults in some movies that jared's in he's pretty good in other films mm-hmm. so uh so yeah you know Paolo, he has his own vision for a line of uh, garments for Gucci. It was inspired by Cuba. Cuba. So he tries to come to Rodolfo to try to get some support there because his dad just doesn't want anything to do with him. At first, I'm thinking, wow, Rodolfo's like, oh, you're a genius. So he's like really buying in. Then he just comes up and it's all sarcasm. So he tells you, you're a fucking idiot. He's basically like, some genius needs to be. What's the word that he had? Kept quiet. Kept quiet, yeah. Hidden away. Uh, But, you know, that's the thing with Paolo, too, is that he keeps making mistakes as the movie goes along, especially with his dad. And he's he's easily manipulated. Yeah, but there's a good moment where Aldo is just so angry because he finds out that Paolo sold the remaining shares of his to uh, Maurizio. Uh, that he's like so mad but then he just hugs and says like you're, you're an idiot but you're my idiot son like it's like a really nice moment that you know Paolo has just always been trying to please his dad and find a way to be his own guy but he keeps falling into these traps mm-hmm. and uh, it, it really that's kind of like one of the colder moments you see is when Paolo realizes that he's been duped by Maurizio and uh, Patrizia and he confronts them outside of a building and, you know, Patrizia's kind of, like, hanging on Maurizio's arm and she's kind of got this snickerlish look on her face, like, you're a fucking idiot, we took advantage of you. Mm-hmm. She didn't come out and say it, but you could just see it on her face. And Maurizio, you know, he's still kind of at that point. He hasn't even gone full-blown asshole at this point. He's kind of like, you know, uh, I do want to look out for you, but of course it's the alternative motive, like, let me get you to sign away your shares mm-hmm. and I'll get you some money back. <laughs> Because um, he was, he was, he, he had a meeting with Patrizia and kind of pitched his idea for his boutique line under the Gucci name. Well, probably did not realize that it was going to be infringement and they basically shut down his show while he was sh- launching his line. So the show got shut down and he was because, you know, he's independent, so he was bankrupt, and that's why he had to sell his shares to Maurizio, so now he's got, like, 60% holdings, and Aldo, at this point, was put in jail because Maurizio and Patrizia 
heard from Paolo while he was in a moment of weakness tax that there was states. yeah there was taxes that were not paid, so yeah. he got he got put in jail for a year for tax evasion. When he gets out, that's when he finds out that Aldo has sold his share and tells him like, "Oh yeah, you're my idiot," but he still has his forty percent. Meanwhile, in the background, Maurizio is meeting with a. Um, Middle Eastern Holdings Company who is going to invest into the company. And I think Aldo had the same um, idea. So they both end up meeting with this company um, separately. And Aldo realizes that he's been duped when he sees the shoes that the gentleman is wearing. He's going, those are not sold in stores. Where did you, yeah, where did you get them? And then Maurizio walks in and he's like, sign your shares over. So the shares were then signed over and Aldo and Paolo, the other two holders are completely gone. And now Maurizio and the investment firm hold 100% shares in Gucci. Yeah. And at this point, Maurizio and Patrizia's relationship is just going down South, yeah. bad. Um, and that's probably like one of the real flaws of the film in terms of like, development of the story because we do kind of know what happens like at a certain point because you know Marito gets involved with a former friend Paolo Frenchie Paola yeah um, but we don't really know exactly what kind of leads up to that beginning of it we just know that there's a strain there uh, he's not paying much attention to Patrizia much uh, either affectionately it's more like a friendship now and he um he fled to Switzerland mm -hmm. at this point too because he was um, Aldo at this point was set. home yeah. and set him up for them to raid Maurizio's place uh, yeah too so it's like all over like this is like a mob story of course it's italian and um so that's when he got involved with paula or paola um he's in switzerland she's in switzerland you've got patrizia back at home dealing with all of this and then fine oh that's right he i'm sorry they didn't mention this like very directly in the movie but aldo was claiming that Maurizio forged his father's signature on the shareholder um, yeah. document at his funeral. So that's why they were going through all of his stuff and that turned into the raid. After all of that was over, that's when Petrutia rejoined um, Maurizio in Switzerland and they have a place there in Switzerland. And that's when she can see He's been there for a while with his friends, and he's different. And um, yeah, and he, he kind of becomes a little bit more um, nasty towards her, like, and not really just straight up yelling or anything. But you know, they, she's talking to the friends and telling a story, and he's like, "Look, they just asked you a straight question. Just give them a straight answer." Yeah, he's, she's trying. To so talk he's about just being them. kind of nasty for the sake of being nasty. Uh, it's we just see like a change in his attitude uh he really doesn't want to be a part of her life romantically anymore uh he sets up an apartment for uh paola to be in and of course he's already started the affair with her that's part of the reason so now we see that he's serving papers to patrizia 
He's 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 divorcing her. Right. And she's like really not wanting to have any of it. She's still very much in love with him. She doesn't understand why he's turning his back on her. Uh, even though he's still going to pay for her welfare and the kids. The one kid that we see in the movie, we don't see the other one, but there's apparently two of them at this point. But uh so, yeah, at some point, uh, because Patrizia is continuing to go to Samuel Hayek's character for advice and support, it starts becoming to the point now we got to get rid of Maurizio somehow. Like, that just somehow becomes the topic. Um, we do see Patrizia kind of losing her shit. Like, her emotions are getting the best of her. Um, I know that from that article I read, the one daughter says that there was a point where Patrizia was dealing with like a benign brain tumor had some surgery done and they thought that maybe that led to some of the behavioral issues that might have affected her decision making we don't know that for a fact but that was her theory and they didn't go into that in yeah the movie they didn't either. touch it yeah they didn't touch it at all I mean honestly this movie was the Patrizia sympathy movie there's a yeah. lot of things that um I was reading about in, you know, the real life of Patrizia where, I mean, she's very manipulative and she thinks very highly of herself. And what you're really seeing is, yeah, you see the manipulations, but it almost feels like the movie is like, and they do a great job of this. This is very well acted. This is so much shit Ray going Gaga on at once. Just nails it. Like, I, I've read some reviews that say she's off and on, but I, I thought she was amazing. In I did too. I had no problem. She looked amazing again, you know, just, I think she has an act for this uh, acting stuff, so. I, I would love to see more from her. But this movie kind of goes from hot to cold, like, with Maurizio and doesn't really give like there's more backstory that we find out about but like you don't see that in the movie so you're feeling very sympathetic for Patrizia because you're like he's got all this power now so he just wants a lover and he just goes crazy spending money on on yeah, fancy he... things and he moves into that big penthouse apartment which by the way is in the Gucci name. Like, it's paid for by Gucci. All of his expensive cars and all are paid by Gucci. And at this point, Gucci is is in the red. Um, so his partners are really concerned about like, all this. They just come to like, we want you to sell your shares. <laughs> They're like, you have to. We want you out. Yeah, so, you know, he doesn't want to do that. Uh, but, yeah, it ends up where Patrizia and... Pina. Pina, they go and they, they hire some hitmen to take out Maurizio. And they do. Uh, they end up shooting Maurizio, uh, I think it's in Italy somewhere. Mm -hmm. and, it's in front of his office because yeah. he sells his shares, but he was still working for Gucci. Right. Um, so he gets shot uh, there and they leave him there. And at first, you know, no one's the wiser. They, they don't really know any leads on anything, but... Patrizia is crying and she there's a moment she shows up at uh, Paola's uh, apartment or, or house and she's like you know they're hugging and crying and she's like okay you can show her out of here this is my she's place. She's like please show her out of my apartment her, like it was very cold and yeah. very. Uh, and then it kind of jumps to where Patrizia is being arrested uh, for uh, setting up the hit and everything because they got the other people it's like a court uh, shot with mm -hmm. a court 
Uh, in the article, but it took them a long time to actually pin it down two on years, her. Yeah. And if so, the dude who this is we don't know this because it's not in the movie, but like just because. I knew a little bit about this before the movie, and then we were reading some side articles about it. The guy who they hired as a hitman was a hotel doorman, and then he was brag. Someone heard him bragging about killing uh, Maurizio Gucci, and at first they were just kind of like pushing it to the side, thinking he's a blowhard. But then they followed him, and they followed Patrizia, and and they kind of figured it out I guess because they weren't even really in conversation anymore but it was enough that they could figure it out yeah I think it kind of started with him and then as they got to Pina who knew these guys uh they kind of tied it into Patrizia and then from there it was just all downhill um but the article that I was reading with the, the daughter one of the daughters Allegra like she was like uh you know she kind of like held out hope that her mother was innocent of the charges for early on uh, the early years of her prison sentence and then I guess at some point uh, between the information that came out and I guess some semi uh, confessions from her mom Mm -hmm. you know she's like I just I can't trust her she's somebody I don't know Uh, and then of course the article also like I said there's a book coming out from this same daughter that's apparently going to kind of changed the way the movie was uh, approaching Patrizia and her influence on Maurizio and how much Maurizio was actually at least according to the daughter uh, a little bit more involved in the direction that Gucci went when he was there because it makes it one thing Nucker kept pointing out in the film was that Patrizia had done all these things that helped make him successful but the daughter is kind of countering that now it could be just bitterness from the daughter but it could be but as I, I said, like, that could just be the movie magic. Like, I told right. you, like, I'm saying this movie is, is yeah. written for Patrizia. Like, it is written for her, 100%. Yeah, but it's it's a good movie. It's, it's, it's you know, it's not action-packed or anything, but if you want to see some good acting and performances, I think they're all if, in there. If you like mob movies, or if you like The Departed, um, there's, uh, minus all the shooting, and, but, <laughs> like, it's a... It, I hate calling it a thinking movie. That's that's like a cop out, but it really is a movie that you're going to um, you're going to appreciate it because it's going to take you a minute to figure out who everybody is and like where they fall in line with the story. And then there's stuff going on in the background behind everybody's back. You've got you know, and then in one minute you think there's ulterior motives and then there's not and then you see something else happen and especially with that lawyer he was he goes on the side of where he knows he's going to be taken care of yeah and, and, and you know and look it's self-interest for him because he gets caught into a lot of the crossfires like i think generally he wants to try to do right but whoever is he's with but I think he even saw the writing out with Maurizio spending so much money. He's like, I don't know what you're doing, man. You're you're blowing through the money you had, and it's like now you had nothing. And so he's like, a self-interest, you know. He's like, okay, I'm gonna come to these guys because they at least know how to manage their money. And, and like, he basically said he's loyal to the brand. Yeah. A long time ago to yeah. Patrizia. So check it out. It's uh, on Amazon Prime. 
so if you got that pretty good film great acting and we're going to get back into our music and before we close this bitch out we've got some uh, innumerable forms deeds of flesh pit lord provided by metal devastation radio mm-hmm. new fulci here's brand new behemoth though off to war
What up, y'all? This is Roger from No Moss. And also, Ben from No Moss. Hey, Henry over here from No Moss. You're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Come get it. Get lit. Yeah, and John too. <laughs> Do you have any idea how many people 
skins of the same precise instant. Both your dwindles. Both dismembered. But you didn't leave any bits of bodies lying around. Even her false teeth bit the dust. We mean she found your future in bellies. Fulci there. Lonely Hearts. DJ Anubis here getting ready to close out this edition of the Hordes of Chaos, episode 185. Certainly hope you all enjoyed the music and the topics at hand. As always, feel free to chime in, give us some uh, messages, respond, uh, give some uh, requests if you want us to play anything particular. If there's any new music out there you want us to check out. Uh, yeah. So, hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, have a great weekend. Got one last track for you. It's from a band called Morbid Stench. This is Darkening Osmosis. Take care, y'all. <laughs>